Welcome to the return of the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns, and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. Visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in paluvas, living in your paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green. Please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Hi, listeners. It's time to talk about the somewhat unpleasant but very important subject to understand, and that is overtraining. Yes, you are hearing from an expert in many ways. Hopefully, I can convey some important information to you and help you prevent some of the pitfalls and uh, suffering that I endured in my career, particularly as a professional triathlete pushing the very edges of peak performance and endurance training, and even today trying to manage my athletic goals in my higher age groups and do the right thing and not make the mistakes both simple and complex that can happen and set you back and defeat the purpose of all your devotion to fitness especially as we uh, emerge from the very small segment of the population that's interested in elite peak performance. And for the rest of us, we're doing this for recreational purposes and uh, promoting, hopefully promoting things like overall general health and longevity. So I think a good starting point is a quick primer on the stress response in the body. And the great work of Dr. Hans Selye, the father, widely considered the father of modern stress research. His research dates back probably 100 years now, uh, but he was the first to kind of quantify the stress response and to uh, distinguish it or describe it in three stages, the stimulus from the outside environment or from the inside environment, as your thoughts can most certainly provoke a stress response. My great show with Dr. Bruce Lipton, author of Biology of Belief and other transformative books, talks about the perception switches located on all of our cells. And if we think a negative or a fearful thought, we can elicit a stress response in the body. So the stimulus is the first step. And then we have a perception. So our body has to perceive this stressor and it perceives it in different ways, right? Being called upon to speak in public is widely regarded as the number one fear of most people, but then some people relish it, and so it won't. Uh, the perception of being called upon surprise to come up and speak in front of a thousand people uh, will have a different response, and that is the third 
stage. So we have stimulus, perception, and response. And the response is where we get the uh, flooding of the bloodstream with stress hormones in the familiar example of the fight or flight response. And all this is controlled by something called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. That's where we uh, begin the process of manufacturing the hormones, neurotransmitters, chemicals that enter the bloodstream as part of the stress response. So what we have essentially on the HPA axis is a feedback loop that's responsible for the body's reaction to environmental stimuli of all kinds. It's a very complex chain reaction. A variety of genetic and hormonal switches are turning on and off and helping us respond appropriately or inappropriately uh, if we perceive that to be uh, inappropriate, right? We don't want to have a fight or flight response uh, every single day, turning every corner and uh, every little uh, traffic altercation uh, is perceived to be a life or death response, literally uh, by the the chemical reaction in the body. So uh, now we can try to uh, manage and optimize the stress response for the appropriate uh, stressors in our everyday life. And we use the term stress I widely use the term with a negative connotation. I had a stressful day, um, I'm stressed, and we should actually be more accurate with our grammar. And the, the term stress, what it really uh, refers to is stimulus. And stimulus can be perceived as both positive or negative. And so a stressor can be something that we widely regard as a positive event, or it can be uh, a, a negative, disappointing, upsetting event. Okay, so if you look at charts on the internet, uh, ranking the most stressful events in life, uh, you often see things like uh, marriage, uh, starting a new job, moving to a new town, ranking up there highly at the very top of the most stressful or replace stressful with stimulatory events in life. Hopefully your wedding day is a happy occasion. Who knows? Sometimes when you're, uh, uh, you have those uh, premonitions, maybe it's not a great day. Maybe it's incredibly stressful, but you get my point here, especially with uh, moving to a new town, starting an exciting new job, heading off to college for the first time. Incredibly, extraordinarily stressful on the scale of uh, routine everyday life happenings, but hopefully super positive, happy, and exciting. But nevertheless... Uh, prompting a profound uh, stress response because of the magnitude of the event. Okay, and so the stress response, a, the HPA axis, is kicked into gear for all manner of uh, everyday activity, starting with getting your ass out of bed and waking up in the morning. So indeed, we need to have a, uh, a chemical reaction to start firing the muscles and the brain cells. Um, it is called upon when you want to do a focus on a peak cognitive task. Of course, when you want to perform a workout, it's very clear that uh, you're, as you warm up and raise your heart rate and your blood pressure and your respiration rate and your body temperature, uh, these are all stress response activities to the stimulus of uh, calling upon your body to exercise. And then on the extreme example, uh, we have a true life or death event where you have to run for your life, where you have to uh, lift the car uh, to save the person trapped underneath the wheel or uh, kind of backing off a little bit, uh, watching a scary movie and being absolutely alarmed and uh, triggering that chemical reaction in the body from the stimulus on the movie screen, your perception of that stimulus and the accordant response, right? So the movie makers and the uh, creators of the amusement parks work really hard on their stimulus to trigger a, um, a, a, a strong perception and a strong response in the body. And you scream and yell and you get back in line and you want to go back on the roller coaster again. So the, uh, the, the feedback loop also entails the hypothalamus down-regulating these fight-or-flight functions and returning these fight-or-flight chemicals and the, um, the, the hormones and neurotransmitters, everything that's flooding the bloodstream when you're under the fight-or-flight circumstances, it's also responsible for returning back to baseline function. We always have this very strong homeostatic drive. Our body wants to uh, regulate. Uh, we want to run around at 98.6 degree body temperature. 
Um, if we have an infection and we uh, trigger a, a fever response, the body's fighting, fighting, fighting uh, the infection, and then uh, desperately wishing to return to 98.6. Same with uh, finishing a workout, lifting a bunch of weight in the gym, uh, running a bunch of miles. Uh, in the aftermath, in the recovery period, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, mechanisms kick in to help our body return to that uh, calm homeostatic state and the healthy uh, balance in the autonomic nervous system between sympathetic and parasympathetic. And those are generally characterized, sympathetic is characterized as fight or flight mechanisms and parasympathetic is characterized as rest or digest uh, mechanisms. And so neurotransmitters are classified as excitatory or inhibitory. And so when it's uh, time for bed and you want to be a healthy person, align with your circadian rhythm and wind things down, you want the inhibitory neurotransmitters to predominate. GABA is a prominent one, a relaxing neurotransmitter. And then uh, same with the hormones such as melatonin, uh, the process of DLMO, dim light melatonin onset, is prompted by... Uh, the darkening of your environment. Hopefully that's the setting of the sun, but we now know today that's when you start toning the lights down, turning off the screens, and then facilitating dim light melatonin onset to help you uh, rest and go to sleep with parasympathetic nervous system activity dominating. Uh, so that is the setup because uh, the important thing here is how we manage this wonderful tool of the fight or flight response. It allows us to perform magnificent athletic feats and get through busy days and handle stresses and crises and uh, take final exams and operate on patients and uh, argue the case in the courtroom and all these fantastic things. Uh, this is what makes us go and makes us tick. And when you are sick, burnt out, exhausted, uh, you realize when uh, you're not sharp, um, the fight or flight response is not working well and you feel pretty blah, you can't focus, you can't concentrate, you have no energy, you can't exercise. And so the correct management of the fight or flight response is the essence of a healthy, uh, productive life. Uh, too little stress is extremely unhealthy and leads to boredom, uh, malaise, and um, essentially an early death if your life lacks meaning, purpose, and challenge. So that's why we always want to say stimulus rather than apply stress in a negative context. What you really want uh, to strive for is this term uh, that Selye maybe coined it, I don't know, but it's called U-stress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -S, and that's an appropriate amount of stress and an appropriate balance between stressors and uh, relaxation periods where uh, stress is minimized or stimulus is low, stimulus is high, stimulus is low, stimulus is high. And as we know from the ancestral health movement, uh, the model of our hunter-gatherer ancestors' lifestyle, uh, which was the default human experience throughout evolution, uh, was typically, uh, some people can dispute this, uh, the evolutionary anthropologists will uh, spout uh, predictions or projections of how our ancestors lived, and it's pretty accurate, uh, but we can't uh, make a blanket statement. Um, maybe some people had too little stress and they just laid around all day and ate a bunch of fish because they were easy to catch and they never uh, really accomplished much. And other ancestors were out there uh, sharpening their tools and battling the woolly mammoth and finally figuring out how to take it down and passing that information on to their offspring and driving human evolution forward with uh, epic lifestyles or conquering uh, the, uh, the new continent for the first time, right? Uh, interestingly, and you can learn more about this on the, um, there, there's a website, Oppenheimer's uh, Human Migration Across the Globe. Um, it's believed that at the time when humans first left East Africa uh, successfully around 200,000 years ago is when humans first originated in East Africa. And they are believed to have uh, ventured out around 60,000 years ago. There were only 5,000 humans on Earth at the time. And an estimated uh, group of only 120 were the ones that left their, uh, their environs there and uh, set out to colonize the globe. So essentially, we all descend from only 120 of most likely the bravest, most badass humans uh, that ever lived, right? That said, hey, let's go somewhere else. Let's, let's check out this globe and um, uh, continue to populate and spread out. Okay, back to the hunter-gatherer ancestry. Uh, generally, how they lived was a pretty sedate life compared to the uh, hectic pace of today's modern life, but of course, uh, populated with incredibly... Uh, brutal circumstances and uh, life or death experiences where uh, 
uh, they were getting chased by predators or starving and having to take down a predator to get their next dinner. So it was a tough life, but the nature of their stress was likely quite disparate from today's uh, chronic uh, forms of stress, certainly not life or death in most cases, uh, but the fight or flight response being abused accordingly by calling upon uh, these uh, delicate hormonal mechanisms over and over and over uh, every single day. And this is the case because, again, any form of stimulus that is perceived to be stressful uh, triggers that fight or flight response. That can be an argument. That can be a traffic jam. That can be running late to the airport. That can be doing a, a enjoyable, uh, wonderful, pleasurable workout at the gym, but you're still kicking these chemicals into your bloodstream. And I make this point because uh, when I was a triathlete, I suffered from over, bouts of overtraining frequently, and it was a disaster, and it was depressing, and I'd fly across the world and get my ass kicked in a race or have to drop out of the race because I was exhausted and I didn't know it until, until the race started. And uh, you scratch my head, go home and figure it out. And all that time, uh, I enjoyed my workouts. I generally performed uh, quite well uh, through these training blocks, but then the cumulative effect of the, uh, the, the training load uh, would break me down at a certain point because my body gave out and it was difficult to predict, but it wasn't uh, the burnout triggered by uh, uh, nasty, brutal business disputes with your business partner or going through uh, acrimonious divorce or having uh, contentions within uh, family, friends, and loved ones or uh, dealing with chronic illness or any of those things. It was pleasurable, enjoyable, hardcore athletic training where I was pushing my body and getting immediate instant gratification rewards, a lot of endorphins flowing in the bloodstream. Nevertheless, it was an abuse of the very delicate fight or flight response. So when we uh, get our heads around this concept of understanding and preventing overtraining and burnout, we have to realize uh, and we can take a time to uh, close your eyes and envision the um, the scales of justice, right? The blind lady uh, with the balance scales and there's uh, on each side are the strings and the little uh, thing on the tray where you balance things. And if we're talking about stressors in modern life, everything goes in that pile. So it's workouts, it's arguing, it's watching a exciting movie. It's uh, compromising sleep to get up and catch an airplane and fly across time zones uh, to do something fun, even a vacation, right? Jet travel is extremely stressful and prompts a significant fight or flight response. It's something that our human genes are entirely inexperienced with. And then over there on the other side of the scale are the things that provide us true rest, recovery, and restoration. Uh, so that would be downtime, sitting on the porch, staring off into space, meditating, perhaps a, a, a yoga class counts on there, uh, your good night's sleep. And so we, um, we're, we're overloaded on the stress side because all kinds of different things uh, all count as stressors. And that's a, a shift in uh, a consciousness here because I think a lot of people are running around thinking, yeah, I have a really stressful job. Uh, it's difficult, it challenges me. Um, it brings my emotions, and then I love getting to the gym afterward and burning off all that uh, frustrated, pent-up energy with a great workout. So I live a healthy, balanced life because I balance workplace stress with uh, these great workouts. Um, that's true in uh, on many levels, but on this uh, biochemical, biological level, uh, the stressful workday at the courtroom or at the office uh, is on the same side of the scale as the enjoyable fun, challenging workout. Now, that's a pretty simple example to comprehend when we talk about a quote-unquote stressful workday with a quote-unquote stressful workout, but highly enjoyable workout. And then we also have to add on the, uh, the, the psychological stress of existing in hectic modern life. Um, and this is from uh, the Bruce Lipton show, uh, mentioned briefly uh, that our thoughts uh, also have an influence on cellular function at all times. And if the perception in your mind, quote, if the perception in your mind is reflected in the chemistry of your body, and if your nervous system reads and interprets the environment and then controls the blood's chemistry, you can literally alter cellular function by altering your thoughts. And so when you uh, take your mind to a place of rumination, and my show with Dr. Ron Sinha identifies that as a true medical condition that uh, brings adverse medical consequences as revealed in blood work and in many other ways. You can take your mind into a stressful state, and this is a, a widespread modern problem when we stress, obsess, ruminate, 
complain, speak negatively, think negatively, we are manifesting cellular function and triggering a fight or flight response rather than a relaxation response as is found when uh, we emerge from that hour-long yoga class and just feel like a sense of calmness or go down for a nap, a massage, a meditation session, things that bring us into a calm state of mind and thereby a calm state of physical being. So you can see how, especially when we're talking to uh, the, the fitness population at risk of overtraining, we are generally dealing with a uh, highly motivated, goal-oriented, driven, focused, hard-driving person, type A as they are known, uh, in the heart attack risk factor parlance. That's right. You know what type A, the term type A comes from? It's a category of elevated heart disease risk. So if you call yourself a type A uh, proudly, let's rethink uh, the origination of that term. Um, not so pleasant. Okay. So when we're uh, driving and achieving and, and taking on the day and doing, uh, making the most of every day, we are a high-stress creature and this is in greatly disparate to um, the ancestral lifestyle, the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, which was um, a, a lot of walking around. If we know anything from uh, modern-day hunter-gatherers, and they, of course, provide a wonderful window into our ancestral past, uh, they do a lot of walking around. Uh, they're, they're gathering. They're um, doing low uh, physical demand tasks, but uh, very busy all day. And then once in a while, they have the, um, the true fight-or-flight, life-or-death uh, challenges. Okay. So um, we understand now that um, positive and negative uh, experiences both uh, count as stimulus or stress, and we're striving for this uh, state, this state of being uh, described as eustress. And eustress, the appropriate amount of daily stressors, makes you stronger and more resilient for future stressors and also gives meaning and purpose and significance to your life, right? So uh, going through college and uh, staying up with all your classes and passing your final exams is no picnic, and it can be um, a difficult, challenging, overly stressful, right, when I say stressful. However, you emerge uh, with a, a vast body of knowledge and experience that you can uh, leverage and continue to progress and grow as a person. Same thing goes for uh, doing your uh, occasional sprint workout, uh, lifting weights, performing a micro-workout, and giving your body these appropriate stressors toward the goal of you stress and away from the goal of uh, chronic stress or excessively stressful lifestyle. So the key there is the uh, brief nature of the uh, extreme fight-or-flight stressors uh, that we undergo, uh, a sprint workout, um, fasting, right? I mean, fasting for 24 hours, by and large, if you're capable of doing it, you're going to get a lot of health benefits. If you're a badass like Brian Liver King Johnson fasting for five days every quarter and bringing his wife, Barbara, along with the experience, and they're very capable and competent and they report all kinds of positive benefits that can also be validated by blood work or any other measurement. Um, but if you're an, an amateur and you decide to fast for 14 days because you read a book about fasting and said it's really healthy, that's going to be likely uh, excessive amount of stress and perhaps put your uh, immune system or other biological functions into distress and dysfunction accordingly because the stressor was too difficult. Uh, if you go into my cold plunge, you watch my wonderful YouTube video about how to do a chest freezer cold therapy protocol, and you decide that maybe I'll do uh, double what Brad does because um, I'll show how tough I am, and you go in there for eight minutes or 15 minutes, you're going to have a vastly overstressful experience that's going to uh, possibly cause an acute illness. I mean, you know, it's no funny business. Same with uh, staying in the sauna for too long and sweating and sweating and sweating, and then your body temperature rises to an unsafe level, you refuse to get out, and all of a sudden what was designed to be uh, an appropriately stressful, uh, we call it a hormetic stressor, uh, delivering a net positive benefit, was over the edge. And that's what overtraining is. It's this wonderful uh, fitness uh, journey uh, performing workouts, challenging yourself, entering a race, um, increasing your output over time as you get fitter and fitter, and then uh, getting to the point where the body can't handle it and all the intended benefits are uh, washed away uh, due to overtraining, uh, overstress, your body's inability to handle the level of stress that you're giving it every day. And so we shouldn't even talk about training in a vacuum because uh, overtraining occurs in the crucible of living the uh, your daily life 
and all the other forms of stress that you have. Now, when I was back as a triathlete, I organized my life so that training was by far uh, the main stressor and the predominant uh, source of stimulus uh, in my life. So I did not have to rush off to work or commute or lift uh, heavy sandbags for eight hours or build a brick wall or what have you. So I was able to exercise, perform the workouts, and then rest and recover and load up the other side of that balance scale in an attempt to absorb and benefit from all the uh, training that I did. And I still made those mistakes. So you can see how um, exercise is a major, major stressor and it has to be uh, contemplated very carefully in order not to cross that line and uh, drift into overtraining patterns. Okay, so the magic of the fight or flight response is it uh, instantly elevates a variety of systems in your body to be functioning at the highest level. So you uh, have elevated heart rate, blood pressure, elevated cognitive focus, you're, you're zoned in and you're ready to uh, fight for your life in the boxing ring, or if you're on the starting line, you're going to run six miles, and that's your fight or flight experience, whatever it is, an argument, a presentation at work, right? And so uh, behind the scenes, what's going on is the basic routine bodily functions are put on hold. So your immune system kind of sits on the sideline while the stress hormones flood your bloodstream and allow you to perform magnificent feats. Uh, similarly, the digestive system is not interested in working much when you're under fight or flight stimulation. That's why they have the two disparate branches of the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic fight or flight and the parasympathetic rest and digest. So you have immune function on the sideline, you have digestive function on the sideline. Uh, that's fine because we're running uh, six miles as fast as we can, or we're in a boxing match, or we're giving a presentation in the boardroom. Uh, however, because the uh, nature of modern stressful life is a chronic uh, type of daily fight or flight stimulation, and I'm not saying every little thing you do is akin to getting in the starting blocks for 100 meters and running for your life and so forth, but uh, we're, we're, we're a little bit stressed by this, a little bit stressed by that. We go, go, go. We have uh, constant uh, connectivity and distractibility and all these things are stressful to the brain. We engage in rumination. We have uh, anxiety about the future, depression about the past. All this kind of stuff adds up to put us into this state of chronic stress. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. That means immune function is not top-notch. Digestive function is not top-notch. That's a uh, common complaint for people uh, under chronic stress, especially endurance athletes. So when I was uh, a triathlete and mixing with uh, many of the other great athletes that were training at the highest level of, of any human ever, right? Few athletes train harder than a, a professional triathlete, maybe a Tour de France cyclist. Uh, some of the CrossFit Games champions are working for hours and hours a day. And interestingly, this has never happened before in the history of humanity. 
Yes, our immediate ancestors、uh, toiling in the factory for eight hours.、Uh, the uh, distant ancestors, the hunter-gatherers, having a really difficult and challenging life and、uh, migrating across Europe during the Ice Age. That was tough. But as far as the physical caloric output, Dr. Tommy Wood, I believe,、uh, cited a stat that the modern extreme elite athlete is、uh, working. Somewhere six times as hard as any type of ancestral experience, and so we're really pushing the cutting edge, and that means、uh, problems with digestive function, immune function, and all these modern, wholly modern conditions,、uh, such as、uh, chronic fatigue and、uh, hormonal adrenal problems, thyroid problems that are、uh, the humans just pushing the limits. And behaving in a manner that's、uh, extremely disparate to our genetic expectations for health. So to repeat, and going back, why did I talk about our ancestors so much? What does it matter what their day was like? Is this is how we evolved? We evolved to thrive and survive uh, brief uh, extreme stressors, and then lots of downtime and uh, gentle uh, daily movement that's not considered、uh, highly stressful or needing to stimulate the fight or flight response. Other gnarly stuff happens、uh, under chronic stress, and that is、uh, an excess of oxidative stress caused by burning、uh, the dirty burning fuel of glucose. Rather than when you're、uh, exercising and living in a nice、uh, stress balanced manner, you're going to be preferential for fat burning, and the burning of fat utilizes mitochondria. Those are the energy producing powerhouses located in most cells throughout the body. And they help you burn fuel cleanly. So takeaway: I don't want to get too scientific. And if you're uh, getting uh, a little drifty here, remember that、um, fat is a clean burning fuel, where、uh, carbohydrate is considered a dirty burning fuel because it generates more oxidative stress because it's able to be burned in the cell without the use of mitochondria. It bypasses this、uh, beautiful Krebs cycle graph、uh, because it can be burned more quickly. Uh, so it's a it's a quick and dirty fuel source. Imagine、um, going to the gas station and filling up your uh, your old uh, you know seventy three uh, Chevy uh, that has、uh, the the visible exhaust coming out of the pipe uh, versus uh, your brand new electric car、uh, that doesn't even need、uh, gas because it's got that more elegant way to generate energy. Without any、uh, pollution, any oxidative stress, we have great graphs in the Primal Endurance book and also in the Two Meals a Day book,、uh, comparing the coal power plant where you're shoveling coal into the、uh, the fire and the the smoky flames are、uh, billowing out versus the solar energy plant, and that would be the difference between being a good fat burner and being a carbohydrate dependent modern human、uh, running around with a high stress lifestyle. And yes, a Chronically stressful lifestyle is directly associated with a carbohydrate dependency. So even if you try to clean up your diet and you say I'm going to fast、uh, longer in the morning, I'm going to co-、uh, cut back on processed carbs、uh, and, and do my best here to do what's、uh, described in the book、uh, about eat these foods and don't eat these. If you're running around、uh, like crazy,、um, you're going to activate those fight or flight hormones. You're going to、uh, experience、uh, cravings for sugar. Especially sugar cravings for 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 fuel、uh, because you are not in that rest and digest or not in that healthy balance between fight or flight and rest and digest. So we have that oxidative stress, we have that immune suppression, we have that digestive、uh, suppression or digestive、uh, dysfunction due to the、uh, overpresence of stress hormones. And guess what? If you put those all together, that is the essence of accelerated aging and not taking good care. Of your cells and allowing、uh, cancerous cells to proliferate,、uh, being doing a poor job at、uh, cell repair,、uh, cell cleansing, things like that, and then you start developing these disease disease processes. Especially if,、um, like like most people in the developed world,、uh, you're eating too much、uh, nutrient deficient food and starting to store it, and not your body、uh, has a trouble dealing with it, handling it, and so all these different patterns are happening rather than being a graceful fat burner. With a stress balance lifestyle, so this is how to、uh, age faster and、uh, struggle and suffer and have an early demise, rather than just managing this stress rest balance. And again, let's go flip back、uh, to earlier in the discussion. 
where guess what? Yes, it can be, uh, it can still be enjoyable and be overly stressful. Um, there is some research that uh, I, I heard about uh, a workaholic type people that are just so devoted to their job, but they love it. They thrive. They're highly productive. And by and large, they have good longevity and good health uh, consequences, even though uh, from the outside, it might seem, gee, you know, they work 12 hours a day, six days a week, and they're still healthy. And so if you have a positive attitude and you love it and you work really hard or you have a passion for something that uh, takes a lot of energy, um, it can it can uh, absolutely support your health. But what we're talking about here is this uh, common condition of an overly stressful career experience and an overly stressful athletic experience. Um, I would uh, contend that the overtrained athlete is probably not having as much fun as the athlete who is optimizing stress and rest balance. And I can uh, reference my triathlon experience where I was trying very hard to compete and do well and improve. And boy, when I got overtrained, it was a huge ass bummer because going out there and putting up slow times and getting your butt kicked in the race and then being fatigued uh, and, and having uh, whatever symptoms of uh, poor immunity or injuries, all those things are, you know, not part of the not part of the dreamy package. So I'd love to meet and talk to that uh, hard training athlete who loves to get overtrained and feel tired in the afternoon at their desk and deal with chronic injuries. I mean, come on, ridiculous. So, um, you know, checking yourself, realizing the destruction and damage you're doing to your body and to your uh, psychological well-being by in inducing too many uh, stressors in modern life. Okay, so what's happening with burnout is you're going, going, going. You're constantly stimulating fight-or-flight hormones and fight-or-flight mechanisms throughout the body. And then one day, and it actually can happen with the snap of the fingers, like surprisingly, stunningly quickly, everything falls apart. And those articles that I reference often that we'll have in the show notes, uh, one running shoe in the grave and another one called running on empty profiles, these elite uh, endurance runners, ultramarathon runners who were setting world records and going for the 24-hour world championship or uh, the, the record on the 100-mile grueling trail run. And then uh, they just, you know, spin off the face of the earth, uh, never to compete again in some cases, and just can't get it going and have uh, a lot of times it's uh, associated with like a prolonged upper respiratory illness. So you catch a little cold, you've been training like crazy and it doesn't go away and it turns into pneumonia. And then after that, you get something else. And after that, you get something else. And there's so many stories, especially from um, some of the leaders of the ancestral and the progressive health movement, people that have reclaimed their health after the pieces absolutely fell apart. And the stories are shocking and tragic. Um, L. Russ, my sidekick, with Primal Blueprint, who hosted the Primal Blueprint podcast for many years and wrote the book Paleothyroid Solution, talks about how she was in the groove. She was in Hollywood. She was a writer. She was an actress. She was doing uh, all kinds of you know exciting things with her life. She was taking long hikes and doing hot yoga several days a week and swimming laps several days a week and being diligent with her uh, primal-aligned, primal-paleo-style diet. Uh, but the stress of doing 105-degree yoga day after day after day with swimming laps, with taking long hikes, with fasting for hours and uh, all these things put together, um, her thyroid fell apart. And uh, it's a great book, especially for people who have suffered with thyroid because um, she was not served well by traditional medical experience and has all kinds of commentary about looking to uh, different resources, especially the functional medicine world to uh, heal your thyroid. But obviously, um, you know, the lifestyle circumstances that got her into that hole. Uh, those are the kind of things that we see over and over and over. And interestingly, a lot of people that uh, ha have been in this, uh, you know, this disastrous uh, breakdown burnout setting uh, are, are, you know, shaking their head and they can't believe this has happened. And it's such bad luck because they got diagnosed with this weird uh, illness. And I don't think there's enough uh, appreciation for um, the causes rather than obsessing about the symptoms. So what I'm saying is you can feel like crap and get a chronic illness and just feel like not yourself for weeks and weeks and go to the doctor and get a bunch of blood tests uh, and, and take more supplements and uh, do whatever. But until you recognize that it's the lifestyle itself that's causing all these problems and take some uh, corrective course of action, 
um, it's kind of a waste of energy. You're mi missing the point or missing the, um, the essence of how to heal. And I'm also talking about myself because when I uh, had these burnout occasions during my triathlon career, sure enough, I would head straight to uh, the blood lab because my brother was there and he drew my blood <laughs> many, many times over the years, quick and easy. I'd get the reports, I'd evaluate them, and then I'd go uh, double down on my supplements. Uh, if I went to see a physician, by and large, they said, wow, you're extremely healthy and everything looks great. Uh, but why can't I get up in the morning before 10 a.m.? Because I'm exhausted. Um, but it was, of course, all attributed to uh, the extreme training and the jet travel and the racing schedule. So uh, that's a little plug for it. don't don't get too uh, worked up about the diagnosis and the different opinions of the different doctors you go to. Just get more sleep, <laughs> cut out the junk food, and quit training too hard. Okay. Um, so burnout is when all the wheels fall off. And oh, what's happening here is that these very, very delicate fight or flight hormonal mechanisms and genetic switches have just uh, collapsed and they can no longer produce even normal baseline levels of critically important stress hormones uh, such as cortisol. So we talk about cortisol in the negative context all the time. Too much cortisol, that's the preeminent fight or flight hormone uh, that is the driver of gluconeonate gluconeogenesis, gluconeogenesis, that is the conversion of amino acids into glucose. Typically what that entails in an overly stressful pattern is you're stripping lean muscle mass into glucose so that you can burn this dirty fuel all day long uh, due to your overly stressful lifestyle circumstances. So this excess of cortisol is when you're uh, wired, jittery, uh, you're not hungry because you're dealing with a personal or family crisis for weeks on end. You're going through, you know, traumatic periods and you can't sleep that well, yet you wake up wide awake in the morning and you jump into gear. And so this is this um, this artificial high uh, driven by chronic overproduction of stress hormones in the bloodstream. And then on the flip side, when you crash out from burnout, you're not even producing the baseline healthy level of cortisol, which means without that uh, driver of energy alertness and um, uh, metabolism, you have a difficult time waking up in the morning. <laughs> you eat a meal and uh, you're uh, bombed out with a, a, a exhaustion in the ensuing hours because you have a more difficult time uh, regulating blood glucose, all kinds of symptoms. And we go into extreme detail in the primal fitness coach certification course that's coming soon. I'll tell you more about that if you're interested in uh, getting um, a deep education uh, on all aspects of fitness. Uh, but we'll also cover these in uh, this two-part episode because we're going to run out of time on this one. But we'll make a quick journey through the various symptoms of uh, overtraining. But interestingly, uh, this concept is rising to awareness in recent times, uh, even with this new term that's being bantered about called overreaching. So overreaching is that temporary high that's afforded by the chronic overproduction of stress hormones in the bloodstream. But while you're in this artificial high, boy, you are capable of uh, magnificent athletic feats and you feel great. You're not sore. You wake up the next day, you can do it again. And so this temporary cloud nine is the wonderful uh, performance enhancing effects of the, the, the cortisol shower. In fact, the final chapter of Primal Endurance is titled The Cortisol Showerhead. And I talk about uh, this sort of confusing situation where you're trying to uh, notice your symptoms, check in with yourself, rate your energy level on a, a one through 10 scale, and then go out there and perform an appropriate workout. But because you've been pushing the envelope so far, um, you are, you know, uh, sort of uh, deluded by how you feel great every single day. And for example, I say you, you wake up, you're not sore, you feel loose and supple, and that's because um, your muscle groups um, are chronically inflamed. Chronic mild inflammation is going to make you feel uh, nice and uh, snappy and flexible. Um, same with the uh, alertness and high energy throughout the day. That's because your metabolic function is upregulated. Perhaps the gluconeogenesis is kicking in to bring you that steady supply of glucose rather than what you feel when you're slightly or significantly burnout, which is that difficulty maintaining 
energy, mood, cognitive function, and blood sugar levels. I contend that world records across the board in a variety of, especially the endurance sports where these chronic training patterns are so common, world records are set by people in this temporary state of overreaching. Uh, I remember having a conversation with Olympic running legend Frank Shorter, who won the gold in 72, uh, the silver in 76, and the marathon was credited with helping to kick off the running boom. And uh, I was talking to him one time on an airplane flight. He was a, he was a commentator on the triathlon circuit. And uh, this incredible uh, streak of performances was happening right at that time in the early 90s from this New Zealand runner named John Campbell. And I think he still has the records if you look him up. When he was 43 years old, he was running at the elite level in the marathon, competing for the overall win in big races like New York and Boston. I think he got fourth in Boston at the age of like 43. And he was you know, running all these records on road races like no one had ever seen a 40-plus endurance runner perform. And I said, Frank, what about this guy? Man, he's incredible. And he says, uh, here's my prediction. He will disappear from the face of the earth pretty soon because there's no way anyone can sustain that type of performance and the training required to turn in a 212 marathon. I believe that was his record. That was just mind-boggling for a 40-plus guy to do. No one can sustain it, and so he's borrowed time. He's burning the candle. And sure enough, he was gone and uh, stopped competing on the world stage soon after his amazing record binge. Hey, is that a necessary or a acceptable trade-off? Probably so, right? I mean, it's a world record. He's not get out there for the longevity gold medal of uh, racing for uh, 20 more years after a long career. Uh, but I think it's for all of us in the um, in the recreational realm who are trying to promote uh, overall general health and especially longevity. We have to be very, very careful to not drift anywhere near uh, the overtraining uh, patterns and the burnout uh, symptoms. And so you can take corrective action really nicely when you have a greater understanding and a greater awareness for what some of these symptoms are, especially the overreaching symptoms, right? So maybe you feel abnormally great after your two-week high-altitude training camp uh, where you uh, slept in the bunk and were up uh, running at the crack of dawn. You're away from your normal everyday life and your other responsibilities, and you're just pushing your body really, really hard, and you, f- you still feel great when you get home. Uh, however, you can reasonably uh, and intuitively uh, conclude that perhaps uh, you were engaged in an unsustainable block of training, and it would be really smart and sensible to back off even though you feel great. And boy, that, I contend, is the uh, ultimate level of sophistication uh, of an athlete, being able to uh, govern their competitive instinct and even their uh, day-to-day sensations uh, with some reasonability and uh, strategic critical thinking to say, well, I've been feeling great for so long, it's time for a month off, that kind of thing. And you don't hear that come out of uh, uh, highly competitive-driven, goal-oriented people's mouths very often, do you? Okay, so that is going to be a nice part one of uh, the overtraining discussion. And in part two, we're going to go down the list. Let's see, I got uh, 15 symptoms of impending doom. We could call that overreaching. And then I got 12 symptoms of Uh, true overtraining and burnout. uh, Pretty much these are all uh, extremely obvious, right? However, um, the increased awareness is going to be really helpful because I think we uh, rationalize too frequently. We talk ourselves out of it. Uh, That competitive instinct kicks in again and again where maybe you went out the door with good intentions. Like, I'm just going to pedal my bicycle on the pedestrian trail today and uh, get some blood flowing in my legs for recovery. And then you're out there Uh, dressed in your fancy uh, tight-fitting Lycra on your uh, expensive bike, and some goof uh, passes you on the left uh, wearing sneakers uh, on a cruiser bike or whatever. And of course, you can't let that happen. Uh, There's too much ego and pride involved with uh, some goof passing you on the bike trail. So you give chase or pass by, and then all of a sudden, the pace of your intended recovery workout uh, is increased into the zone of uh, medium training session. And that kind of stuff can add up and, uh, you know, end up in uh, chronic patterns when you have that uh, unwillingness to back off. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, Share your own uh, comments, feedback, question, podcast at bradventures.com. 
And I look forward to getting uh, further into this matter in part two of this overtraining show. Bye-bye. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near-infrared light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes, and there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit Mito Red Light, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. I hope you enjoy this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery Course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet, peak performance, and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one-on-one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini course with an ebook summary of the Primal Endurance Approach and nine step-by-step videos on how to become a Primal Endurance Athlete. This mini-course will help you develop a strong, basic understanding of this all-encompassing approach to endurance training that includes Primal-aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high-intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest recovery and annual periodization, and finally cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it. 